Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new episode of Road to Forest Valley podcast. We are here today with Patricia Masdorf. Hi, Patricia. Hi, pleasure to be here. Patricia is a partnership and project manager in innovation and socioeconomic change at WWF Switzerland. So, Patricia, would you like to give us a brief introduction of yourself and your current role at WWF? Yeah, with pleasure. My name is Patricia Matzdorf. I am working at WWF. My background actually starts from development economics, so economics and business, uh, and now I'm adding sustainability into my role. Perhaps a bit more to what I effectively do at WWF. We have, we basically treat topics like the planetary boundaries, new economic models, and also the kind of the approaches that will help us globally, but also in Switzerland, get closer to a one planet reality. Whilst I have colleagues in my team that work on the more systemic political side of things, I work on the bottom-up approaches, so really trying to support all of those who are trying to find solutions for the planet and try to support them increase their impact and their visibility. I think that's probably quite briefly to what I do. I'm German Ghanaian and I've come actually from the development space and have now transitioned into sustainability. Okay, what it means in practice to support the bottom-up innovators of solutions for the one planet? Essentially what we see or what we believe is that we need action at every level and there are a lot of people with some really great ideas, be it in all different sectors, be it in food, how do we produce our food and mobility in uh, living. And they, we all start somewhere. It essentially, is those who are, have started their projects, who are launching them. Sometimes it's really basic project management. How do I do my marketing? How do I do fundraising? Sometimes also learning about how do I measure my impact to be able to support people with great projects for sharing economy models or producing reducing food waste opportunities. We have created a structure called the One Planet Lab. It's currently nation, so only Switzerland focused. We have three pillars. So one is knowledge. So we give them access or anyone who's interested access to knowledge that could be on a theoretical basis. What is an ecological footprint? What are the planetary boundaries? What are the different strategies for sustainability? But then we also give them access to practical knowledge. So I just mentioned fundraising, marketing, just basically toolkits. So that's the knowledge pillar. And then we have the networking pillar where we have different ways of networking either community amongst each other. So learning from peers in the community. So we have peer-to-peer events where people can ask questions or they can bring in their own expertise and you can, they can exchange directly with somebody who's actually done an initiative. Then we have more information events. So really getting access to different types of information very quickly. So perhaps to a topic like the carbon market, you know, getting a perspective from an academic, getting a perspective from a politician, getting a perspective from somebody who works in business. And so really trying to get a quick update on the relevant sustainability topic for the context in which we're talking about and that's our networking angle this also gives the community access to different people in our group we're a multi-stakeholder platform so we really want to try to make people get out of their green bubble or try to push them also to get in contact with other stakeholders 
those are really the supporting elements. We also provide visibility for the organizations which are working in. We write blogs, we try to push them on social media, we try to link them up to different networks of organizations with whom we're working with. We also provide courses and that's a, the leg between the knowledge and networking. So these are the kind of the offerings that we have for supporting those who are, we think are, are, are projects that fit within our thematic focus. So what is the process for an innovator to get in contact with you? So what we did is we're a platform which partners with a lot of different organizations. For example, we partner with Impact Hub and their Circular Economy Transition Program, and they have an incubator. So we then support the incubator in launching or, or uh, communicating their calls for the incubators. We also work with Sense Suisse. They also have an accelerator, uh, or Hub Neuchâtel. They also have an accelerator. So there we support with the calls. And we also work with We Make It, so their crowdfunding platform. Again, they have an impact fund and so we also support uh, them in our calls and in order to basically be aware of what's available in terms of these type of offerings one would have to be linked in on our social media we or look to hang look basically subscribe to our newsletter and that's where you get access to the most up-to-date calls um, on our website you can access all of our courses and events now these aren't only the courses that we actually create for our community but also the availability of courses of organizations which are relevant um, to the community or people who are, are launching projects so the easiest way is effectively either our website our social media or our newsletter or just writing me or my colleague Ingrid who's responsible for the francophone um, section of, of force francophone region um, writing her an email and telling us about you know where are they are what are they doing and then we can see if there's a good match within our network okay wonderful very nice and i also know that you wrote a report with pwc recently mm -hmm. where you mentioned an estimation of billions of net material cost saving opportunity at european level and we also talk about some strategies to identify concrete opportunities in that direction of business uh, Would you like to talk about that a little bit more? Well, the report was really, was a, was a great experience to kind of package a lot of knowledge. One thing, perhaps I'll start with the kind of the key insights. I mean, what was really important for us to bring together maybe a more traditional business brand such as PwC and then a, an environmental one such as WWF was a kind of a coming together and trying to find the mid, middle way. And essentially what was really important to us is to set the topic of circular economy within the context of the planetary boundaries. Whilst um, in the environmental space, a lot of people are now are very much aware of the nine planetary boundaries, which essentially ensure the stability of all of our ecosystems. A lot of the broader community that don't work in sustainability space don't know that we have these nine planetary boundaries of which four have effectively been breached, namely biosphere integrity. So basically we're in the, currently facing the sixth mass extinction, which if you just to contextualize that, the fifth mass extinction was the death of dinosaurs. So we're really in a quite a serious um, situation at this point in time, given that uh, a lot of our ecosystems are dependent on all of our bio biodiversity. The second is land use change, so really due to de extreme deforestation. The third is nitrogen and phosphorus surplus due to our agricultural practices, where we have a significant overfertilization within our agricultural practices, leading to depletion of oxygen in our sea and fresh water. 
and last but not least, it's essentially the one we've all heard about, which is climate change. And so what we really wanted to do is make sure that people understood that circular economy is a, can be a vehicle to try and help address this breaching of um, the nine planetary boundaries. And we wanted to also show the opportunities that are related of, to transition from a, a linear to a circular model. But I think there's a common misconception. I think that's slowly starting to change now that circular economy is only recycling. But we really wanted to take that one step further and show that there are many different strategies to go beyond recycling that are actually even more important than recycling. Recycling is kind of on the lower end of things. And there are four strategies which we highlight. The definition for the Ellen MacArthur Foundation goes in this direction, but it's it just a different way of, of, of positioning uh, the, the circular strategies that are available. And so we really try to put together the sustainable development definition from the Britain Sustainable Development uh, Report in, in 87. And so these four strategies that we try to promote are slowing, the slowing resource loops, which is really about consuming less, using a product longer, refurbishing, repairing as long as possible, really trying to keep a product in that cycle. Then closing loops, which is the standard recycling, post-consumer waste recycling, and then essentially narrowing, which is what we see a lot in the current linear economies. It's basically producing more with less, like lightweighting aluminium cans or using as plastic. And then finally is regenerating, which is really about leaving the environment in a better state than you effectively came into it. To perhaps give you an example of what can look that can look like, it's basically net positive strategies that we've seen companies like Puma, Coca-Cola, or Kingfisher try to promote, which for example in Kingfisher, what they do is they produce their DIY kind of shop for you to help do your own changes in your home. And what they do is they use a lot of timber, and so they more timber than they effectively take out. This is just one or, you know, trying to use in terms of your chemical use, trying to use ones chemicals that are biodegradable that are not like for the environment. So that's, these are the four strategies and slowing and regenerating are, in our view, some of the most important. So that's something that we really wanted to communicate. And we also wanted to also highlight, you know, what are the challenges, but also the opportunities going forward for circular economy, particularly with a, a Swiss lens, because we're obviously focusing on the Swiss market. But the challenges, I think, in most places are the same. Negative rebound effects. I, I mentioned before that circular economy is usually the common understanding is that it's linked to recycling, but also the common understanding is that a circular business model is inherently more sustainable. But effectively, it's it's only inherently more sustainable if it's designed to be so. You always need to take into consideration the possible rebound effects of creating your product. So if you produce something more with less, then maybe uh, a consumer will buy more of that product, it will be more cheap and therefore in the in total stock they will be buying more of it and the impact will actually be greater and so it will be negative. And so you really need to design your circular economy model so that it acts as a substitute for primary resource materials. It's a circular businesses should create alternatives for the primary resource use and to really decrease the overall demand and that's what we're truly trying to push is that we want to currently we hit the 100 billion ton primary resource materials in 2018 so essentially meaning that we now as humanity consume 100 billion tons of primary materials every year that essentially means that we are consuming like we have three planets when we have one and you know simple economics shows us that's just going to be a problem sooner rather than later so trying to really substitute that primary resource material usage in our circular products is going to be incredibly important there's the whole series of different challenges that i don't want to just chat <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean from energy usage to cost of materials so there's definitely some of the challenges but there are also 
some significant opportunities. And I, I feel like there's also investments that are going into that space. There's circular economy roadmaps that are being instilled in or created for the European Union. There's a lot of um, interest now, and I think uh, there's a significant opportunity to push and change in a more circular direction. And of course, your role in bringing this knowledge to the mass, to the audience, it's very important. So I found very interesting the report because it brings everything together in a clear way, even easy way. You also bring some cases, right? Mm-hmm. from the Swiss industry, not just startups, but big companies changing. Do you have in mind a nice example that you would like to talk about? Yeah, happily. Perhaps just starting with the food sector. We try to focus really on food waste in our report. So in Switzerland, 25% of the nutrition-related environmental impact is caused by avoidable food waste. So it's like, you know, an average Swiss person per year will be throwing away 600 Um, francs worth of food which is what close to 500 euros if that's that's where you need to calculate it's 2.8 million tons of food waste annually so it's quite a significant amount and most of that happens 38 of that happens in household 27 so about a third of that in processing and about you know 15 or 14 of that in gastronomy so there's a real opportunity here to save all i mean well, not only on the monetary value but also on the nutritional value and here there's a, a couple of really good examples of different types of strategies on different startups so one of them i would probably start with uh, Kitro. so basically what they do is they work with big cafeterias They have a software which takes pictures of the food waste and then calculates what's being wasted, how much of that is being wasted. And then they work together with the cafeterias to say, okay, well, obviously a lot of people don't like these type of greens, so they'll try and change the menus. They work with the kind of cafeteria chefs to change the menus so that there is less food waste overall and also look in terms of their quantities. So that's one um, really good startup that's pushing the slowing loops. Another one which is now well known all across Europe is Too Good To Go. They're the, one of the largest B2C marketplaces for food waste or food surpluses. Essentially what they do is they partner with the bakeries and cafeterias all across the different countries in Europe. They have an app and you can, in off-peak times, buy the food like after the traditional lunch hours and at a really a cut price and thereby they're saving a significant uh, amount of food and they've really created also they've shown that there's there is still value they're creating value from um, something you, you wouldn't see otherwise so that's two examples from the food space i think the, the textile space is also one that's developing significantly i mean at this point there's less than one percent of clothing that is recycled in the same or similar quality overall we throw away over 100 tons of textiles 100 tons of textiles globally every year in switzerland that's 50,000 tons and what we see is there's a 60% increase in production in the last 15 years but a 40% decrease in usage so people will be wearing 40% of all clothes that is bought is only going to be worn two to four times two to four times overall so that just goes to show that the, the scale of the problem that we're dealing with but we found that There's a big interest, particularly in the fashion and industry, to start thinking or dealing around with this problem. Obviously, slowing loops is quite an important um, strategy here, trying to make people use their clothes for longer. But designing in circularity from the very beginning is going to be very important. There's a European 
research bureau study that shows that you know 80% of the wastage can be designed out in the design phase. And what we're really happy to see, I mean, it's a very controversial example, but H&M has been working very closely with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And I think from this or next year, they will be planning, all of their designers will have circular criteria, which they will need to use once designing all of their clothes. And so that's one positive step. I mean, there's also their, their swap events where they try to create people swap their clothes or they can bring back their clothes and it's meant to be more recycled. But there's still a long way to go, but I think that there's it's definitely a positive impetus. But we see also other organizations like Freitag. They're known for their uh, using truck tarpaulin to create their bags. So this the impetus is the right one. I think that the hardest piece is saying how do we stop overconsumption in space in this space? Yeah, indeed for fashion, especially fast fashion is by definition mm -hmm. unsustainable. So there is a total need to shift the mindset, not only for producers, but also for consumers, because now we are used to, as you said, just buy things by season and even less. And also recycling clothes, it's still a challenge technically, right? Because as in other fields, you still cannot recover the material having then a good uh, material to reuse. So you lose the technical... The quality of quality. the textile is, exactly. is no, no longer guaranteed. But yeah, and that's one of the challenges when you have mixed fiber textiles is that you can't break them back down into their separate components and therefore reuse them at the same um, quality as they were before. And, and essentially also in the recycling process, that issue of contamination is one of the challenges and one of the reasons why closing and recycling loops are maybe not the priority because it's just so difficult not only in terms of energy usage but in that contamination aspect of maintaining the quality of a recycled good particularly there's a really good um, statistic also it's a bit of european research and they basically stated that if we were able to extend the life cycle of all notebooks washing machines vacuum cleaners by just one year they would be saving four million tons of co2 emissions annually and that's essentially the equivalent of taking two million cars off the road until 2030. Incredible opportunity in just increasing the usage of many different goods and products which need to be taken into consideration, particularly in the fashion industry. And I'm not quite sure how to do that, but I feel like there's a room for creative inspiration here and in saying, do we create modular jackets? Do we have pieces that can be repaired? Do we create consortiums of different you know, outdoor labels who can repair each other's clothing? There's opportunity for creating new ways of working together here. Yeah, the same problem of trends. You're not going to use old clothes if they are made to be trendy just for that year. So it's a total change in mindset. Indeed, you were mentioning that to start a circular project, it's pretty complex. So it touches the whole value chain, basically, including changing customers' behaviors. So it also requires technical and collaborative competencies with the suppliers, with the stakeholders. And that could become a barrier, especially to small and medium enterprises, to rethink, redesign, so invest a lot of resources, changing their way of producing and selling goods. So what is the initial cost of collaboration in these projects? And how do you explain to companies the value of doing it and how can it be overcome? Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned one of the key challenges currently for 
creating circular systems and because as you said it's very difficult for a business to be purely circular if it's not working with the right stakeholders who are ensuring the full uh, circularity across all of the whole value chain now and essentially this is also one of the big now still a deterrent for businesses who we're thinking who will have an initial higher coordination cost. I think one thing to say is I wouldn't be able to say, okay, this is the cost right now because every business is different. And in some businesses, the integration across different value chains is much uh, more strong already or has already been, it's been a long time that they've been working with different actors and so they have very developed relationships. But I would say that it's also very different if you're starting with the circular idea or if you need to pivot. So if you have a traditional linear your model and you need to now pivot all of your supply chains across the globe that's a very different case but if you are starting small then you actually have the opportunities to already source and develop partnerships with organizations that already have some of the circular or environmental criteria or processes that you would like to have so there it's i would almost say the coordination cost should be a little bit less there i think there's a real there's a shift happening a little bit but i think we'll see the style of doing business of you know i create my little project and I, I won't share it with anybody that is starting to change we're seeing a lot more partnerships between different companies who are saying okay well this is not my area of expertise i'm going to partner don't quote me on this but i think that there's also there's a partnership between mercedes and um, volkswagen in terms of their electrical batteries so for e-cars we see that there are certain larger companies that are starting to open up to say okay well this is a problem we all have instead of paying for research and development in all of our companies separately, let's put our thoughts together and see whether we can jointly combine our resources and, and find a joint solution for it. So I think that will be more and more the business of the future as we go forward. I think there are two prong approaches, and this is one of the points that we actually suggested in the paper, that collaborating to address environmental hotspots will be a very important way of addressing some of the um, most detrimental environmental industries. So for instance, in Switzerland, there's a report which outlines which are the most detrimental industries and where in their supply chains is the most biodiversity loss or where's the most energy wasted or where is the most waste overall. And there's a really great paper that was, I think, released a couple of years ago on different ways of collaborating or different collaborative models in the EU. And they look at national, regional, and local partnership styles. So there are different collaboration types and some also looking specifically only at sectors. And so there's already a lot of examples out there about how to facilitate or promote partnerships at different levels. And depending on which country you're in, I feel like there's a bit of a joint role on the one hand, it might not be their daily business to go out and search for, to create a whole circular system, but a government might have an interest in making sure that all of their different sectors are to some degree starting to think in that direction. So I feel like it, it's a bit of a, an opportunity for both sides to push a little bit. One, bringing in regulation that makes it necessary for businesses to act differently, or two, also investing in maybe sectoral roundtables or local roundtables or regional roundtables, depending on country context in which a certain collaboration makes sense. If you're talking about energy usage in a whole country, then you might want it to, to get together different all the energy players in a given context. But if you're talking about local agricultural producers for a city or a village and trying to increase that that's a different type of scope so you need to find the model that fits i do think there are also quite a lot of foundations and also grant givers who would be interested in supporting 
collaborative initiatives, or particularly in pre-competitive spaces, mm -hmm. so problems that that affect all either the, all of the companies or all of the organizations or the stakeholders equally, and there's a joint interest to find a solution. And that's where I think that's where civil society or maybe NGOs can really reach out and try to create projects which test new solutions, which encourage that multi-stakeholder um, collaboration and, and also bring, bring in the different actors. So. There's a lot of opportunities and a lot of different ways of going about it. I wouldn't be able to say this is the cost, but it, it is clear now that the coordination cost is there. But I, I feel like coordination cost is there at any point if you're trying to look for a partner in a supply chain or you're going to have to learn how they work, how we work, what are your criteria. It's still part of the game. It's just trying to do it again, but differently. Is a shift in mindset for business uh, in general. And you mentioned some strategies. Which one would you prioritize? And also for our audience, uh, which uh, includes SMEs and innovators, what are the questions that are still there and you are trying to answer or you're trying to understand a little bit more that could help? them that could facilitate their way of doing business mm -hmm. in this direction. Mm -hmm. For those smaller businesses that are trying to ensure that their business model is, is sustainably circular, actually in the, the white paper at the very end in the appendix, there's a rapid circularity assessment and design principles. They're really high level, but they're really simple questions that I think every organization can look at and not just think in terms of their own context of their own product, but also in a larger context. So seeing what is their impact overall. And I think every organization should ask themselves these questions. You asked me initially, what is the most important strategy? For me, the most important strategy is definitely slowing. There is, it's linked essentially to extending life cycle products, slowing consumption, longer lasting products. And I think um, I mentioned how many primary resources are going into our uh, economies every year. and. This is basically what we need to work on. We need to reduce the overall amount of primary materials that are going into our system. So if we can move ahead on the slowing effects, we'll have a much better chance. We'll have to use less energy in terms of recycling. We'll have to use less manpower in terms of upcycling all these different products. We really need to move the needle on the consumption piece, essentially. And perhaps just for just to speak a bit more about the circularity assessment and the, their design principles they we basically wrote this paper with support strong support from professor nancy bock and she obviously was a strong contributor and this is based on one of her design suggestions that she'd actually written a paper for and tested with a, a large and a smaller clothing company and essentially one column is talking about the capital flows so essentially there's a number of products sold annually per company and and this is the influx of new products and then on the other hand you have stocks which is the number of goods nationally overall you know how many clothes do we have in switzerland versus how many clothes does my company produce and then in these two kind of ways of thinking you then ask yourself question okay well for my company is my product designed to extend, am I extending the useful, the lifetime of my product? And if I am, how much am I reducing the new items that I'm producing? So just thinking these two very simple questions can help you think, okay, what's the end impact? Am I still just trying to sell more? 
or am I trying to sell less? So this is, for example, in a sharing economy model, you're not actually trying to sell more, you're trying to sell the functionality. And that's what I think is a really interesting way of, of rethinking how you are doing business. Granted, it'll depend on which industry you're working with. I mean, food, you, you can't extend the life cycle, but you can maybe reduce wastage. So there's some really interesting pieces there. And I think there are also questions around system effects. Does your new product lead to a negative rebound effect? If you say, I'm going to start now biological cotton for my new t-shirt, where is it sourced from? Are you sourcing it from somewhere with very low water? And as a result, have a really negative impact on the community where you're sourcing that. So that should help a, a company or an organization start asking the right questions for the design of their next product or, or, or service. Yeah, I agree that indeed it's already tough for businesses, but realizing that it's not just about the environment, but it's also about the social impact, it's even mm -hmm. a bigger challenge because the consequences are going to be ultimately on humans and not on the environment. Well, it was very interesting and I really liked your project, your report, all the work you're doing, collaborating with the impact apps and all these realities helping innovators to create new business models and hopefully uh, we are gonna reach the level of one planet for one planet <laughs> but thank you for all your effort in this direction it's super important thank you i was wonderful to be here and uh, be able to contribute i look forward to listening to your other sessions with other experts of course so thank you everybody for listening and hope to see you for the next episode